Hello and welcome to On Liberty, coming to you live from the Centre for Independent Studies here in Sydney. I'm Glenn Fay, Research Fellow here at the CIS. Today I'm joined by Dr. Bella Debrera. She's the Director of the Foundations of Western Civilizations Program at the Institute of Public Affairs. Bella, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Pleasure. We're pleased to have you. Bella, you've recently uh, commissioned polling of Australian parents and, and uh, reached a conclusion that, that there were elements of the school system that you found to be out of step with mainstream values. Can you tell us more about what, what you found in the poll? Yeah, so we commissioned um, a firm called Dinata, who we use quite a lot to ask a thousand Australians some questions about um, critical race theory. Uh, we didn't use the language, we didn't say critical race theory, but we used the language um, which sort of describes what it is to, to ask them, you know, what they think of it and if they actually want it. So, um, so we found that, uh, you have to excuse me, I'm reading it because I haven't learned it off by heart and I don't want to get it wrong, but um, we found that 82% of Australians disagreed with the statement that school students should be forced to apologise for their skin colour. 86% uh, disagreed that schools should make boys ashamed of being male. Um, and then 69% of school believe that school students shouldn't be taught that Australia is a racist country. So there's an overwhelming um, rejection of identity politics, of critical race theory, of the idea that, that uh, certain people need to be treated differently in the classroom depending on their, the color of their skin and depending on their gender, which are things that um, I think we took for granted even five years ago um, and now suddenly have burst onto the scene and we're actually having to ask Australian parents what they think about these things, which normally would be, um, you know, wouldn't we wouldn't even be, we'd be talking about it, but I think it's a sign of just how bad things have got and why we're having this discussion today, um, that we're actually having to, to, to do a poll to find out, to, to prove that, you know, mainstream Australians don't want this stuff. And do you think this is in, re in relation to sort of isolated incidents? So there's obviously pretty well publicised episodes. And, and of course, you've, you've highlighted some of those in the media and other places in recent times. Is it in the case of more isolated episodes or is it something that you think, based on the poll, is, is a more widely held uh, view among the public? Well, the reason why we commissioned this poll is because um, we've all seen many examples suddenly bursting onto the, in, into the media, into mainstream media, about um, what is essentially mistreatment and um, of, of various students at school. So we had, um, working backwards, we had most recently Parkdale College in Victoria here, where um, probably a well-intentioned youth worker who, 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 who actually does believe that we're all victims of a male patriarchy society, told 15-year-old schoolboys to stand up and apologize for being white, male, and Christian. Um, then we've had Linfield Learning College in uh, New South Wales, which you know, got students to, to write these BLM-inspired messages, you know, racist cops and, and, and um, only Black Lives Matter and things like that. And I think there was another college in, in Melbourne, in, sorry, in Warrnambool, which told boys to apologise to the girls for being oppressors. So these things are happening over again with much more frequency than they, they used to. I know these are only three examples that have hit, them, hit the press, but I'm sure I know for a fact that these are, there are, there's a lot of this going on in the background. So this is why we thought, well, we've got we've got to we've got to find out what parents really think about this because you 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 get the impression from these reports that Australia that, that parents are quite outraged, um, and that and that is true, uh, they are, and uh, and this is why we thought we need to do the polls. We've got the numbers, um, and it's not just the examples. Sorry, of the of of the students. It's the 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 presence of 
the the curriculum in New South Wales, this racism no way curriculum, which really propounds this idea of race and 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 is just this extremely sort of activist indoctrination of, of students happening in New South Wales. So um, these are not isolated in, 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 uh, incidents and we do need to find out what parents really think. And, and I, we'll come to curriculum in a little bit, but yeah. it seems to me that more or less um, a lot of the examples that we talk to, and they've highlighted a few very important ones, but on the day-to-day -day experience of students, isn't it true that, so, that sometimes you know, conservatives are perhaps jumping at shadows on some of these issues. Because in most cases, aren't episodes of political correctness and even identity politics more likely to be more farcical, humorous things that we should laugh off? You know, so some examples are that I'll pick on birthdays in schools because it's it, there's been some really funny cases in the last few years. So, you know, birthday cakes were banned in some schools because there's fears of uh, potentially... Uh, students' dietary requirements being conflicted and, and schools not wanting to manage that. Or the birthday candles were, were banned because of overly, uh, overly cautious risk management practices. Or that students can't hand out birthday invitations because uh, it may, non invitees might be offended. Now, aren't, aren't there, isn't it more that these cases are just silly, whimsical, farcical things to laugh off more than uh, reasons to be concerned about? genuine harm in, in, um, in what they're, what, what's, what's happening with children in schools work? Um, I think uh, you, you, sh you can't really conflate these things. I think the, the, these are examples that you talk about are farcical and they're ridiculous and, you know, not being able to send Christmas cards and things at Christmas in case you offend someone. They're all um, manifestations of, 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 of the same um, paranoia about Western civilization um, in a way. Uh, but the what we're talking about here is far more serious and and the fact that um you're actually humiliating students in front of other students for characteristics that they can't do anything about for being male for being white um is beyond it, it, it's it's so beyond farcical it, it is completely damaging what is it doing to to 15 year old boys when they're told that they that they're worthless and that all their oppressors. This is appalling. It shouldn't even be happening to one boy and or one class. Um, what what is the? I mean, boys are already suffering mental health problems already compared to, to to women. They're already being told that they're bad. They're already being told that they're rapists before they've even begun begun life. And now this on top of the this on top of that is just it's just it's just dire. Um, and this is why we're talking about it. This is why it is really serious. It's not just a matter of birthday cakes and 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 um and sort of the snowflakey idea that you might offend someone if you don't send them a birthday card now i want to say hi to everyone that's joined us online and a reminder to our live audience that to send in your questions for bella and we'll get to those through the course of our conversation now i'd like to shift a little bit here you've you've mentioned that uh there's a appears to be a concern from your survey that that parents parents' views don't necessarily reflect what's happening in schools in some cases. Now, in recent months here in New South Wales, there's been some controversy about a, a parental rights bill, which in part seems to be related to some of those concerns that, that you've reflected. So, and one item that's come out of that that's proved to be somewhat contentious is the idea that parents might have, might have a, a role to play when it comes to pulling out children from courses 
uh, or areas of, of schooling that may be out of step with their values. So that could be you know, for religious reasons or others. In a multicultural, multiracial, uh, diverse society, is it the case that we need expanded options of, of available courses to students so that everyone has something that reflects their values? Or do you think that we've a situ or, or do you think that we need to align on a certain set of uniform principles for, for the way that courses and contents delivered? Well, I think um, you need to have an agreed set of principles and values for everyone uh, across everyone who comes to Australia and who lives in Australia, everyone who has Australian citizenship. Um, and these values uh, uh, are something that are universal. So this is the this is the brilliance of Western civilization: rule of law, equality before the law. Um, uh, all these 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 values that have nothing to do with with race or gender. Everyone in the classroom, every child in the classroom, should be able to 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 be taught these values and and live by these values. They're not they're they're distinct from from whatever their religion is, if they're Hindu or Islam or uh, Muslim or Christian. Um, so you have to have a shared set of values, and I think the problem that we're seeing is that these values, these universal values, are now being undermined by identity politics and critical race theory. And so this is and and things like um, gender fluidity and this radical gender theory. And I think parents are perfectly entitled to take their children out of these lessons um, if they believe that they, these 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 kind of things are harming their children, and um, if 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 these parents things believe that these are immoral things, uh, teaching teaching children um, things that they they don't be, believe are, are, are morally true, so it, it's a really difficult when you have a multicultural society. But I think you have to have the shared values, and those shared values are ones that that have come down to us through the Enlightenment and the the the, the, the values that are that Australia is founded on, and I think you know. When people take citizenship here, don't they have to? They they have to. When people actually come to this country and they love coming to this country because of those values, because it gives them these opportunities, because they are equal before the law. As a woman, I have no no impediment to my progress in society here in Australia. No matter how much the left will say that there's a glass ceiling and you know I'm oppressed as a woman, that is completely false. Um, and these are the values that uh, attract people to this country, and these are the values that short should be taught in school. And once we start not teaching those values then i think parents have every right to say i'm not I, I you know i don't want my i don't want my children to learn about transgenderism and i don't want my children to think that they're that they're um because they're born a certain color that their, their destiny is, is is has already been decided so you've mentioned there both critical race theory and gender radical gender theory can you for the for our audience can you explain a little bit more about how they interact and how those issues uh, may be harmful to to children so, well, critical race theory is 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 a pretty it's a, it's a it's a recent invention. So, probably nineteen nineties. Um, it's just a version of it's another postmodernist theory with a capital T. But it, it it's it undermines the entire um, functioning of our society because it says all Western societies, so Australia, New Zealand, um, Canada, England, America, they're all institutionally racist and that the defining the defining principle of power in our societies is racism and that there's nothing in society that isn't that isn't fundamentally racist so um it's it sets it sets one group up for for success and it tells the other group that it's 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 doomed to failure so it says that if you're white um 
you're part of this racist, uh, this racist, um, um, what's the word, framework. And if you're not white, you're, you're a victim of this racist framework. Uh, how, can, how can you, I mean, that is so ahistorical a, a and anti-rational. How can a society function along this way? You just need to look out into the street and you see homeless white men. How does that, how does that work with this, with this idea that, um, that <laughs> our institutions are, are fundamentally racist? Um, so that's, that's being taught very early on in, 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 in schools. That is being taught to four-year-olds in this thing called anti-bias training. They're getting anti-bias training when they're four and five. By the time they reach secondary school, they're being told that um, they have white privilege and that um, that they that they need to start apologizing for the actions of their ancestors, and then it ties into history and it ties into the curriculum, which we'll talk about later. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question there. I think I might have gone on a bit of a um, a rant about critical race theory. <laughs> you have to remind me. Oh, what you're always asking. always helpful. Always helpful because yeah. you're you're an expert on these topics and you've been working on on relevant issues related to this for, for years, in particular universities as well. Uh, I guess my. My, my concern is, it doesn't this start in a good place? You know, don't a lot of these ideas start in a well-meaning perspective, attempting to uh, inculcate a more inclusive society? Does it does it seem to get taken out of hand in some cases? Um, well, if you if you, I mean, I, yes. So the point is that these theories come about from from a from a view that there is something wrong with society that society is unequal we need to do something about equalizing society their solution is um actually doing the opposite it is it is dividing us and it is making it is making us less equal identity politics makes us less equal because it divides us based on our um our groups rather than then so it sets us up against each other so so you could argue that um that they come from a um a, a desire to to fix society, to fix society that, um, that we're always going to have inequality and suffering, but it's completely the wrong way about uh, going about it. So I think that people who do do try and um, who do believe it, so like this youth worker who told the boys at Parktail, probably generally believe that this is how they're going to fix the problem. That's why she's a youth worker. You know, that's why she works at the council. She's motivated by by good, by trying to fix what we can see is is a world that. Um, where people don't have the same opportunities and don't have don't have the same experiences, but it's completely the wrong way of doing it. It it, it does the opposite to what it sets out to do. Uh, can I can I, on that? Can I jump to a question from from the audience? Anthony asks: Is multiculturalism compatible with a free society? I think that that kind of jumps off the point you were just talking to. If everyone um, agrees that there's a set, there's a there's there's a, a set of values. An agreed set of values, then, then it 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 does work. A multi-faith society works perhaps less than a multicultural society. We've fighted it in a couple of places that we that we get there. I think, uh, of course, it's been front and center, particularly around proposed revisions to the national curriculum currently. Currently, and I, I think it's it's important for us to distinguish in that discussion between the element of Indigenous perspectives, which has been somewhat contentious as a cross-curriculum priority in the curriculum, and, and, and a second element is around the teaching of Australian Indigenous history and, and I suppose the, the relationship that that bears with the study of Western civilization in school. If we can start on Indigenous perspectives first, 
So the, the complaint and the concern for educators from pretty much day one of the, the Australian curriculum as it currently is, is that the challenge has been that because Indigenous perspectives are a cross-curricular priority and it's taught as an elaboration of existing course content, educators have had trouble identifying where they can meaningfully and authentically apply those perspectives in some content areas because in some places it fits perfectly well and in others it feels out of place or wedged in and, and perhaps tokenistic in application. So it seems that, that educators more or less are seeking ways that they can better apply those Indigenous perspectives in, in, in children's work. Now, do you think that the revisions to the curriculum that have been proposed, are they helping or hindering that challenge of educators? Um, well, I think they're more than revisions. I mean, this is a massive um, increase in, in content of Indigenous history. In, fa in fact, we're not allowed to call it Indigenous anymore. We have to call it First Nations Australians or First Peoples. They depend, depending on, on how they feel when they're writing the curriculum. So what they've done is that they've not only left the cross-curriculum priorities in, including sustainability and Australia's engagement with Asia, which the IPA have been saying for 10 years, you just need to take up. Because if you want to declutter the curriculum, take out these things. They just, they completely, as you say, confuse teachers. They don't know where they should be teaching it. They're wedged in, you know, in a sort of tokenistic way. But what they've done is they've doubled down. And instead of taking out the Indigenous um, and Torres Strait Islander histories, they've, they've increased it to a point where, especially in the history curriculum, you're left with the impression that, um, that, Australia's history is a is a is 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 just purely indigenous history, and uh, there is no explanation of uh, there's no explanation of how this modern state of Australia came into being. It was bad enough within the current curriculum, and now now what they've done is they've they've actually doubled it. So in in year seven, fifty percent of the year seven history course is indigenous and Torres Strait indigenous history or First Nations peoples history. That is way too much. Um, and and that's way too much to spend on 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 any period of history. If you're trying to teach, if you've got three years to teach students everything, which is what they appear to be doing, why would you spend fifty percent on, on indigenous history? Um, I think it would suffice to have uh, a, a a semester on on indigenous history. Um, but what's happening is that they've spent so much time on this on this particular period that they've completely ignored everything else. Uh, there's just no time. There's going to be no time for the teachers. And, um, and I think this is where we need to find a balance again. It's just gone completely uh, the other way. Well, I know you're passionate about the study of history and, and that's present in, in much of your work. Now, I know, and, and a lot of the, the discussion here has centered around the role of indigenous history versus other, other histories. Now, and I suppose in the discussions around the proposed revisions to the curriculum, it seems to me that it's been a very zero-sum conversation. You know, so if you were to include Indigenous histories, it comes at the exclusion of, of a broader study of Western civilization. Can't we do those things at the same time? And can't we, can't we, can't both, both sets of study in a comparative way help to increase understanding of, of how and why different civilizations have emerged into what they are today? Well, I mean, you certainly can talk about indigenous history. You can, I mean, children need to know that this is this is part of this 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 country. It's it's it doesn't make sense if you start talking about um, the first fleet and you don't mention who was here when they arrived. Um, but then again, it doesn't make any sense to 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 
to teach nothing but indigenous history and suddenly suddenly they're learning about the first world war and the second world war and um, they're learning about how to be activists in the 21st century but they have no idea about why they have democracy why they have the rights to, why they have the right to protest um why they why they have the, the anything that makes australia the the stable and prosperous nation that they have today they have no idea but they but they're given they from the minute they get into history from um they're taught they're taught a version which which is not just indigenous history but it's and and it's it's anti-western civilization it's anti um it's it's basically saying the british invaded um there was genocide there was massacres um, and they set this scene very early on they start talking about ideas being contested like australia day and, and they so they plant the seeds of doubt very early on when they're in the air four and then by the time they get to year six they vague they essentially they, they they then get around to teaching them a little bit about um civics and citizenship and why why we have the modern state but the seeds are already planted already they already think that that australia shouldn't exist anyway because because we invaded they're already feeling bad about it and then by the time they get into secondary school it's there's if you look at the the amount of times that um i did a quick count yesterday of uh of word count just of the year seven to ten uh history curriculum so it's i think the curriculum is about 90 pages long and there's a hundred and there's about a hundred mentions of first nations peoples but that's more than pages that the pages of the the the, the, the national the actual history curriculum and you get i think maybe seven references about democracy I mean that is completely unbalanced. So, yes, they need to know about indigenous history, but they don't need to know. They, they it, it doesn't need to be so. It is it is just shoved into every subject. It is the children are going to be bored by the time they finish school. They, they're going to they're going to hate it. That that's the problem. Children need children need something more than one version. What than indigenous history? They're going to there's so much more to teach them, and it, that's what I get really upset about. Is there's so much amazing history out there. And and all they're getting is just this this one this one one civilization. They're just getting indigenous history. But can't the study of of Western civilization help complement the understanding of indigenous history? You know, um, well, understanding why civilizations moved in, in different directions and, and had different set, certain values that they prioritized. Isn't that well, an enriching form of history for children to learn about? I mean, you can certainly say yes. This is the the, the indigenous um, people lived here for what 60,000 years or how many years they, they were they were here for and it's remarkable how they managed to survive on this land I mean we were saying yesterday how we could probably last five minutes in the in the center of Australia it's remarkable they're 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 incredible yes we need to study this but we also need to study western civilization because that is relevant for today for for us why why we we have computers and we have this technology we talk to each other we could um we have amazing healthcare we have we have opportunities available for everyone that this um I, I i think you can study different civilizations but we shouldn't just focus on 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 indigenous on 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 indigenous civilizations for school children because it doesn't help them in their it doesn't help them in their daily lives it doesn't help them to to understand the country that they're living in now so setting aside, you know, the perhaps value judgments around Western civilization, or, or even about, I guess, some of the, the the other elements around identity politics and so on that we talked about earlier, I suppose my bigger picture question is, you know, we often hear that the education system is the cause, uh, but also the solution of many problems. You know, that 
my, my question sort of is along the lines of, do you think that schooling is upstream or downstream of society? So what I mean by that is that, is the school system responsible for creating some of the problems or, or contested ideas in society today? Or is it the case that these things are happening more widely, a, a wider development, and then they're flowing through to the school system downstream? Do you have a view about where that where schooling sits in that realm? It's like an egg, egg and chicken, egg and chicken question a bit, isn't it? Um, I mean, clearly, whoever's writing the curriculum, and we've, it's there's a, there is a lack of transparency um, in terms of who's actually sitting down and writing this, have an idea that this is how they want children to be educated, or um, some would say indoctrinated when when in 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 when you're talking about this new curriculum, because there's not much education in there at all. Um, so they have a view of how they want society to be. So they're doing that by, by, by creating, creating Australians. What am I, I'm trying to say that they are, they're deliberately writing the curriculum in a way that they know will produce a certain type of person in Australia. And that person will be a citizen of Australia who believes certain things, has a certain worldview, um, and then that person will then presumably get a job um, writing policy in government, um, you know, shaping the culture of Australia. So I think there is, this is why, this is why we need to have this conversation about the curriculum, because I think it does make a huge difference um, to, to the nation and to how the nation sees itself and how it, how it is as a nation. So in 10 or 15 years time. So my concern with this curriculum is that um, it will produce Australians who who don't have Australia um, in their best interests because they're being taught from from the minute they get to school to the minute they leave that there is some, that Australia is not a good country. That has huge implications. that has huge implications for for the health of of civil society and for health the health of this country. But it's not about the curriculum either, though, is it? Because the, the national curriculum, in particular, is a, is in most states just a framework document that you know that, that's then worked upon, and, and the translation of that directly into the daily work of educators, that the connection is not always that one for one, right? So it would seem that irrespective of of developments at the national curriculum writing level, surely it's a, it's the perspectives um, and priorities of individual teachers that plays also plays a role. Uh, in, in the actual instruction that takes place day to day. So isn't it a matter that we also need to uh, help teachers understand you know, what, what elements that they should, should be taken completely literally from uh, whatever values are inculcated in a curriculum and which things should be taken verbatim and which things they should interpret? Or is that introduce a further problem? Well, I think, I mean, going to the, to the teaching community, you can generalise and say most teachers, most people going to teaching now are, are going to teaching because because they have they have a worldview um, and um, they want to pass this worldview on to their students. It's not really, and, and this is generally because there's some amazing teachers around who still get into teaching because they want to educate their students, but many teachers get into teaching for the wrong reason. Um, you know, they're renowned for their activism. They're renowned for encouraging students to get out and march for climate change. They're encouraging, they're, they're, they're renowned for telling students terrible things in the classroom about how they, they've got white privilege this is this the teaching fraternity 
are notoriously left-wing. They have a worldview that is reflected in this curriculum. Um, so the question is, how, how do you change that? How do you attract teachers who are apolitical, who just want to go in there and teach children how to read and write again? Um, and I'm not talking about all teachers because um, there are some fantastic educators out there, as you know, you're, you're more in this world than I am. Um, so, you know, the question is, how do you change that? How do you, how do you stop what's happening? And how do you stop teachers turning children into activists because those teachers are activists? Well, I mean, I, it's interesting though. I mean, uh, I, I wonder how much teaching is, um, uh, is, is, a, is a especially left-wing profession or progressive pro profession. Cause it seems to me that the main, the main, um, the, I suppose the dirty secret is that all professions have become increasingly left of center in orientation, and and all and all other vocations uh, have become more right of center over time. At least international studies tell us this. So I wonder how much of that's to do with teaching per se and and whatnot. But we're running out of time in this session. So one final question for you, Bella, is what's um what, how can schooling better reflect the values and and aspirations of mainstream Australians? Well, I first of all, just take um, take these uh, radical ideologies out of the classroom. If you believe in them, keep them to yourself. Um, don't tell students to, to stand up and apologize for something for their immutable characteristics. Um, strip, uh, actually, uh, um, one of our members wrote to me recently about all this, and he told me a story he was in, uh, Second World War, he was in, in Glasgow. He was very young when he was three or four being, being educated during the, during the Blitz. Actually, sorry, no, it was London. Um, and they were, this, the Blitz was going on, but there was still no propaganda in the schools. No, the teachers never said anything about Hitler. They just, <laughs> they just taught straight liter literacy and numeracy. There was a, the, the, the classroom was completely propaganda three, free. You'd think at that point in history, that would be somewhere where the teacher would actually say something something about um, something about Hitler, but they didn't. So he, he told me that is a little anecdote. And I think maybe that's where we need to go back to. Um, we need to go back to, to, to just taking politics out of the classroom. Well, that, that's all we have time for for today. A, an important point there to, to leave on, that's depoliticize schooling and, and focus on, on uh, uh, reach, lifting aspirations and ambitions of Australian schooling. That, that's, my, that's my plug there. Bella, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm sure that I uh, speak for everyone that's joined this conversation that have enjoyed hearing from you. Thanks again. Thanks, Glenn. On next week's episode, my colleague Monica Wilkie will be in the hot seat and she'll be joined by Chris Merritt, Legal Affairs Editor at The Australian Newspaper and Vice President of the Rule of Law Institute Australia. Be sure to tune in again at this time next Wednesday. And bye for now. <laughs>